Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now and give us understanding of your word so that we obey it and keep it with all our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series, which we've picked up again in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. We had quite a break uh, from when we left it with 2 Samuel chapter 1, but we've come back about a year later and started last week looking at this book together again. Uh, Now some of you may be still scratching your heads as to where Samuel fits into Israelite history. Well, of course... The Bible begins with Genesis and the creation of the first humans, Adam and Eve. Uh, From Adam and Eve, you eventually get Abraham. From Abraham, you get the 12 tribes of Israel from his 12 great-grandsons. They end up in Egypt. They are taken out of Egypt by Moses with great wonders uh, as they were enslaved in Egypt by Pharaoh. They enter into the Promised Land under Joshua. There's a period of what we call the Book of Judges uh, where these different judges lead them. And then eventually uh, God anoints the first king of Israel over them, which is where 1 Samuel happens to be, and that is King Saul. King Saul, however, turns out to be someone who does not follow God's ways and ends up in war uh, with fighting uh, a man called David, who God does anoint as king over his people. Uh, But Saul loses a war with the Philistines. So, of course, there's internal battles going on in Israel uh, between Saul and David, and David moves away to the Philistine area. But the Philistines eventually uh, fight against Saul, and he loses his life. And as a result of the king being dead, we saw last week that Judah, one of the tribes of Israel, anoints David as their king. And we read that even now in 2 Samuel chapter 2, the opening verses there, that they now have David, who was previously anointed as king, they now have David reigning over them. But what about the rest of Israel? Last week we saw David is clearly king of Judah. He announces to Jabesh Gilead, one of the towns in Israel, that he is king. But what do the rest of the Israelites do? Well, we read today that they serve a rival king instead, that they have a rival king to David. And we read that in verse 8 and 9. We read in verse 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 2. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead, Asheree, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. Who is this man Ishbosheth, who is now king of Israel? While David is king of Judah, well, it's the son of King Saul. We understood that King Saul's sons, Jonathan and uh, two others, died in battle, and they would have been the likely candidates to be on the throne next, but they died in battle, and instead, uh, this Ishbosheth is now going to be king. Now, who makes him king? Well, it's clearly that Abner makes him king, this man called Abner. We read in verse uh, 8 that Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He brought him over there. And what did he do there? Well, in verse 9, he made him king over Gilead. Abner made Ishbosheth king over Gilead and so forth to all Israel. Now, who is this man, Abner? He is the man who made Ishbosheth king over Israel. Who is he? Well, he's the son of Ner. That clear it up for you? Who is Nair? Well, Nair is the brother of Saul's father, Kish. So Saul would have been the nephew of Abner's father. Make sense? And therefore, Ishbosheth, I tried to work this out this week, hopefully I got it right. He is the first cousin once removed from Abner. 
So he's not a direct first cousin, he's not a cousin, but he's a, a cousin, first cousin once removed. If you know family trees better, then you can uh, check it later. But basically, Ner is brother of Saul's father Kish, and Abner is the son of Ner, and so Ishbosheth is his cousin once removed. So he's a relative of Ishbosheth, Abner. And of course, he was an, a relative of Saul as well. But who else was Abner? Well, he was the commander of Saul's army. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 50, he's referred to there as the commander of Saul's army, but you also see that in verse 8. Verse 8 of chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army. He was the commander of Saul's army back in 1 Samuel. And very early on, he was the commander of Saul's army. How early on? Well, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that Abner saw David defeat Goliath and take David to Saul. He was the one who brought David to Saul and said that this man has defeated Goliath. This is the, young, this is the man who defeated Goliath. And who else was Abner? Well, then, of course, he, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 20, he's the commander of Saul's army. He's a man who eats at Saul's table. He had a place next to Saul, it says, in 1 Samuel 20, at the king's table, where, of course, David had a place as well. Who else was Abner? Well, Abner was one, as commander of Saul's army, who would have experienced the shame of David's successes against his own. If you read 1 Samuel, you read that Samuel was, uh, David was very successful in his attacks against the Philistines under Saul as king, he was very successful in fighting against the Philistines. And we read in 1 Samuel 18.30 that he was so successful that it says, the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers. And his name became well known. David met with such success that he... Uh, he met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers. David was counted as an officer in Saul's army. And he did far better than every other officer, which includes Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army. He would have known the shame of when it's said that David, uh, Saul slayed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, he would have felt some of the disgrace of that. It should be Abner slays his tens of thousands, really, or at least slaying his thousands. But it's not. It's David. And who else was Abner, son of Ner? He was a man who was rebuked by David back in 1 Samuel, back in 1 Samuel chapter 26. And we actually look at this because I think it helps us to understand who Abner is and why he does what he does in 2 Samuel chapter 2 in putting Ishbosheth as the ruler of Israel. Turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 26. We're going to read a fair chunk of it. 1 Samuel chapter 26, and we'll read from verse 2. So, Saul has been chasing David around, trying to take his life, and he's come uh, to a part of Israel and uh, the desert of Ziph, and we'll pick it up at verse 2. Verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 26, it says, So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search there for David. Saul's trying to kill David at this point. Verse 3, it says, Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakalah, facing Jeshimun, but David stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. 
Saul was lying inside the camp and the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai son of Zariah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, The Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. For the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head, and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord the king? Someone came to destroy your lord the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men deserve to die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? Here we see Abner, son of Ner, front and centre, being confronted by David, being rebuked by David for not guarding the king as he should. So who is Abner, son of Ner? Commander of Saul's army, but he's also someone who's recognised that David is someone who is greater than him. And here is clearly being rebuked by David for not guarding Saul as he should, for not guarding the king of Israel as he should. So why did Abner, son of Ner, make Ishbosheth king over Israel? Was it because he didn't know about David's reign down in Hebron? The answer has to be no. Of course he knew about it. It was announced by David in Jabesh Gilead soon after Saul's death. And it's actually been a five year gap between Abner, son of Nam, putting Ishbosheth on the throne, and David being king in Hebron. If you look with me at verse 11, it says, uh, sorry, verse 10 of 2 Samuel chapter 2, it says, Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he reigned two years. The house of Judah, however, followed David. The length of time David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So Abner's son, uh, so Ishbosheth's reign, as we'll see in future weeks, ends, and David is then made king. But he was king for seven years, whereas Abner, uh, Ishbosheth was only king for two years. So it's been a five-year gap for Abner not to know that David has been king down in Judah for over that five-year period. We mean he have to be sticking his head in the sand. He knows that David is king down in Hebron, yet still he makes Ishbosheth king. Now, why does he do that? Is it because he doesn't know that David is God's king? Yes, he knows that David is down there in Hebron reigning, but he doesn't think that David is God's king. Now, Abner knows that David was anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel, that he should be the king. Surely Abner heard Saul admit to David back in 1 Samuel chapter 24, when there was a similar confrontation to the one that we just read in 1 Samuel chapter 26, 
Surely he heard Saul admit to David, I know that you will surely be king. This is Saul speaking. And that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. If Saul knew it, that David would one day be king, then surely Abner, son of Ner, knew it. And it was widely known throughout Israel during David's time when he was racing around in the desert trying to escape Saul, that David was meant to be king of Israel. How do we know? Abigail, the wife of Nabal, knew that David was going to be king. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 30, that Abigail says to David, when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel. And then she goes on to say what David should do. She knew that David would one day be leader over Israel. This woman out in the desert knew. Abner, son of Ner, surely knew that David had been anointed king over Israel by Samuel. And the tribes later on will admit that they knew that David should be their, their leader. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, the tribes come, the leaders of the tribes come, and they say to David that the Lord said to you, you will, be shepherd, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. They admit this. The tribes knew it. And Abner himself admits that he knew this. Look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9. He's speaking to Ishbosheth, and Abner says to Ishbosheth, we'll look at this in future weeks, but in, in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. That's Abner speaking there. He's speaking to Ishbosheth, and he knows that the Lord swore that David would be king of Israel. And he says the same with the elders of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 17 and following. So what's Abner doing by appointing Ishbosheth as king over Israel? It's not that he's in ignorance that David's king down in Hebron. And it's not in ignorance that David is meant to be king of Israel because of God's choice. What's Abner doing? Well, like Saul did, his previous king, Abner's previous king, he's rejecting God's chosen king. That's what he's doing. He's rejecting God's chosen king. Why? Well, I think the answer has to be pride. Like Saul, he's following his previous master's attitude towards the king of Israel, to God's choice of king of Israel, because of his pride. As we've just looked at Abner, son of Ner, and who he is from what we can tell from 1 Samuel, we can see that his pride would have to have been affected by David. Why? Because David is clearly better than him. David is a better warrior than Abner, son of Ner. David excelled in battle compared to all the officers of Saul, which would include Abner. And surely Abner doesn't want a, a king over him who rebukes him, like he was rebuked back in 1 Samuel by David already. If David was willing to rebuke him back then, of course David's going to be willing to rebuke him if he's clearly king over Abner. And we see his pride when he gets rebuked by Ishbosheth. That's what leads him to say this statement that we just read from chapter 3 when Ishbosheth confronts him about something. His pride gets affected and he says, oh, I'm going to give the kingdom over to, to David instead. He's a proud man. And of course, why would he want to make Ishbosheth king? Because Abner's a strong man and he wants a king that he can manipulate. If we look at Ishbosheth, He's a very weak king. Abner's front and centre as we look at these chapters together. 
It's clearly that Abner's in control. Abner made him king. Ishbosheth didn't make himself king. Abner made him king. And so Abner's pride is front and centre. And we know that it would be a humbling effect for him if he was to have David as his king. So what is Abner doing? Well, he's doing what mankind loves to do. Reject God's king and make their own king. This is what humanity loves to do. And we see it in the pages of the Bible. And it's not just with the Israelites at that time. We see again and again that the Israelites reject God's king and instead have a king of their own. Israel didn't change. The kingdom splits again, even in the time of David, under Sheba. You can read about it this afternoon in 2 Samuel chapter 20. Sheba sets himself up a king, and Israel goes after him. And then, of course, what happens after King Solomon, David's son? The kingdom is split. And from that time, it's split till the exile. That there's a kingdom of Israel and there's a kingdom of Judah. There's those who follow the house of David and those who follow the house of mm, any person that comes along generally. It just switches back and forth between different Israelite houses. There's this clear pattern that people reject the kingdom of God, the king of God, and take their own king instead. And we see this over into the New Testament. What happened when God sent his king, Jesus, into the world? Israel rejected him. Israel rejected him. We read in John chapter 19, verse 14, Pilate says to the Jews, here is your king. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Very clear, this is your king. Even Pilate says it to them. This is God's appointed king. And what do they say? We have no king but Caesar. A terrible statement for chief priests to be saying, who are meant to be good Jews, to say that this foreign Caesar is their king. And we see that Herod rejected the king of Jews. He was meant to be the king of Jews, rejected him. And, of course, Pontius Pilate. He rejected Jesus as well as the governor of the Jews, he should have bowed the knee before Jesus as well, but he did not. And this was all foretold in that parable that we had read for us before from Luke chapter 19, where this, by, by the Lord Jesus himself, he says, a man of noble birth went away to be appointed king, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Jesus is talking about himself there. He's come to be appointed as king, but his subjects send a delegation and say, we don't want this man as our king. And what is the world full of today still? It's full of proud abners who have made Ishbosheth their king instead of God's king. Why? Well, same reason Abner didn't want David as king. What's that? Pride. They don't want God's king Jesus. Why? Because he's clearly far better than them. And no one likes someone to be better than them and to rule over them. Just like Abner knew David was better. So humanity doesn't want Jesus. Just like the Pharisees back then, they didn't like Jesus because they clearly knew he was better than them. And why else do people proudly reject God's king today? Because Jesus rebukes them. Just like David rebuked Abner, Jesus rebukes people today. Just like he rebuked the Pharisees, he rebukes people today and says, you shouldn't be doing that. That's sinful. And what do people do? They don't like it. And say, you're not going to be our king. 
if you speak to me that way. I don't like being told I'm a sinner. You're not my king. And of course, people want the benefits of a king that they can manipulate. They know they can't manipulate Jesus. He is full of authority and he doesn't back down. He tells it as it is, but people don't like that. They want a king that they can manipulate and have all the benefits from. And usually they want themselves to be king. But what's the result? What's the result? Well, Abner's and Ishbosheth's have weak kingdoms. They end up with weak kingdoms. Where did Ishbosheth reign? He reigns over all Israel. But where was he reigning from? Look back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 2. It says, Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. Now, how's your Israelite in geography of Israel? Where's Mahanaim? Mahanaim is east of the Jordan. So if you think of Israel, you've got the Jordan River coming down the middle and east is going towards the desert. And when the Israelites came up out of Egypt, they actually had to cross the Jordan to enter into the Promised Land, which is west of the Jordan. So basically, Israel pretty much takes most of what is west of the Jordan and a bit of east of the Jordan. Now, Ishbosheth is in Mahanaim. How does that show his weakness? Well, the majority of Israel is controlled now by the Philistines in the north, which we saw last week they'd taken over those towns. And in the south, who's there? David. So what does Ishbosheth have? He has a bit of east of the Jordan, then a few bits of Israel, which are primarily covered by Philistines, and then the rest David has down in the south. It's like declaring yourself king of Australia while reigning in Perth. I was trying to come up with an analogy for you for geography. But you're over in Perth. Now, Perth is important. Mahanaim was an important trade centre because it's on the desert, it's on the other side of the Jordan, and it's before you head out to other nations. So you're over in Perth and you declare yourself king. But what's happening on the eastern side? Well, the Philistines have Canberra, they have Melbourne, they have Sydney, and David has Queensland with Brisbane. And yet you're declaring yourself king of Australia when there's clearly this massive desert in the way. Now, of course, we have modern transport and you can clear that desert, but I think it works out well compared to the, the Jordan. They could travel across the Jordan, uh, but, of course, they didn't have the transport that we have today. So there's still that understanding, I think, that there's something in the way that protects them from the Philistines somewhat, just as the desert kind of protects people who'd be reigning over in Perth from those who may come over. It's a weak kingdom that Ishbosheth has. He says he's king of Israel, but is he really? He may have some control, but others have far more control of Israel. And as Ishbosheth grows weaker, what's the result for God's kingdom? It grows stronger. What do we read in chapter 3 of 2 Samuel? 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. What Ishbosheth did rule over, gradually it was taken from him. And who was it given to? Ultimately, it was given to David. At the end of Ishbosheth's life, all Israel comes under David. It's all given to David. And it's the same after Solomon. We saw, I said before, the kingdom splits after Solomon. You have the kingdom of Israel and you have the kingdom of Judah. But what gradually happens more and more? God's kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, grows stronger and stronger and the kingdom of Israel grows weaker and weaker and weaker until it's wiped out by the Assyrians and you've only got the kingdom of Judah left. 
And then, of course, that ta- is taken out by the, by, the Israel- uh, by the Babylonians. But then you see the return with the exile. It starts to be that Judah is associated with Israel. The word Jew is originally for those who are people of the tribe of Judah. But what do we see the word of Jew used in the New Testament? It's referred to all the Israelites. And still today, we can say an Israelite, we can say a Jew, and we think the same thing. It's because the kingdom of Judah became the dominant kingdom. It grew stronger and stronger. Ishbosheth's control grew weaker and weaker. David's grew stronger. And it's the same pattern that happens again and again with rival kingdoms. And it's the same today with people and their Ishbosheths. People only have weak rival kingdoms to Christ's kingdom. They only have weak kingdoms. Why? They only reign over a tiny part of this world. Even the people who have great authority in this world, there's always the Joneses who have more. There's always another nation that has more power or at least has power over part of this world that they don't have. And then, of course, what happens over their lifetime? They may acquire great power. They have a kingdom like Ishbosheth, But over time, they lose more and more of that power as their bodies grow weaker and weaker. Until their assets and all that they have, they barely control. Jill and I were watching a movie this week and we see this king and he's feeble on his throne, a man who was great authority previously. And there he is signing documents with his shaky hand and a servant's holding his hand while he signs the document. And we laughed at him with one another and said, could you really say that's a decree of the king when a servant is holding his hand as he shakily signs it? What control does he have over his kingdom as he can barely hold a pencil? And that's the, king, that's the system for all rival kingdoms. That's the result of all rival kingdoms. They, their kingdoms grow weaker and weaker over time. Their control grows weaker and weaker. But what's the result for God's kingdom, for Jesus' kingdom? It grows stronger and stronger. By the Spirit's power, it grows stronger and stronger. Yes, like David, Jesus lived a life of suffering. And even more so than David, he was crucified on a cross. But where is Jesus now? He's reigning in heaven. He's reigning in heaven. And what's happening with his kingdom? It continues to grow through the ages. Started like a mustard seed, yes, but now it is a great tree that covers over the earth. And his people have gone in to glory, to be with him. His kingdom continues to get stronger and stronger. And what happens to rebels? What happens to Abners and Ishbosheths? Well, Those who reject God's king, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be put to death before Jesus as his enemies. That's what we saw in that parable from Luke chapter 19, where he's talking about this man of noble birth who goes away to be appointed king. A delegation is sent. We don't want this man as our king. What happens? He comes back as king. And what does he say? Well, he talks to his servants who have been faithful with their ministry with Minas. But he says, but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. And that's pointing to Judgment Day, where Jesus will send those who didn't want him as king to be eternally punished in hell. The question for you this morning is, what about you? Are you an Abner? Are you an Abner? You know deep down that Jesus is better than you, that he's far superior to you, yet you don't want him as king 
in your pride. And you know that he rebukes you. He tells you you're a sinner. But you in your pride don't want a king who tells you where you've gone wrong, just like Abner didn't want David to tell him where he'd gone wrong. Are you someone who would rather have a king you can manipulate than have Jesus who you cannot manipulate? What should you do this morning if you're an Abner or an Ishbosheth? Well, you should see the weakness of your kingdom. You and your king, whoever he is, and if he's yourself, you control very little. Your kingdom is tiny, it's minuscule, and it's going to get weaker and weaker. And what else should you see? You should see the strength of Jesus' kingdom. That he reigns now and his kingdom continues to grow. It continues to grow. The world may be against it, but it continues to grow. It's amazing that he continues to call people and change them, change their hearts so that they are part of his kingdom. It just keeps on happening. Every generation, it just keeps on happening. As much as the world tries to suppress the Bible, tries to suppress Christians, it just keeps on happening. His kingdom keeps on growing. And what will happen one day, if you continue to be an Abner, you continue to be an Eshbosheth, all that you have will be taken from you. And who will it be given to? It'll be given to Jesus. It'll be given to Jesus. Because, of course, one day he will come and he will rule all. Every knee will bow before him. And you, if you die in your rebellion against God's king, in your pride, if you die in that state, you'll be punished as a rebel of God's true king. What should you do if you find as you're sitting here now that you are conscious you've been an Abner? You've been rejecting God's King, Jesus Christ, who's clearly God's King. God raised him from the dead. Who else could be King? You're rejecting God's King. What should you do? You should humble yourself before one who is clearly better than you. Admit it and anoint Jesus as your King by faith now. Anoint Jesus as your King. John gives us this wonderful hope that if we believe in Jesus, then he is our king. John, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Speaking of Jesus, he says, He, that is Jesus, came to that which was his own. He came to his own, his own people. But what does John say? But his own did not receive him where's the hope though john continues yet all to all who receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will but born of god if you believe in jesus christ he is your king and you are part of god's family Regardless of whether you've rejected Jesus in the past, regardless of whether you've been making your own king for decades, if you come now and accept Jesus as your king, if you receive him as your king, then he is your king and you're born of God. And what will you then do? By the Spirit's power, you can rejoice in Christ's glory. Rejoice in this king who is far superior to you and you can humbly serve him with the meanness that he's given you, with the, the gifts that he has given you. Serve him faithfully and watch his kingdom grow stronger and stronger. It's so wonderful to be a Christian because you just see how his kingdom continues to grow. And the kingdom of the world just grows weaker and weaker. It goes through cycles, yes. It goes up, but it goes down. 
But the kingdom of Jesus just goes stronger and stronger. And we rejoice in that and we, of course, joyfully look forward to the triumph, the great triumph on the last day when every knee will bow before him and his people, his subjects, will receive their reward and be told, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for graciously sending Jesus as king. Lord, we confess that we did not receive him as king initially. For many of us in this room, we've repented of that and anointed him as king over us by faith. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to rejoice in Jesus and serve him faithfully, looking forward to the heaven that is to come. And Lord, if there is anyone here who continues to reject your king, that they, are, they see in the pages of the Bible that they are like an Abner, they're like an Ishbosheth. Oh Lord, we pray that they would humble themselves now, that they would repent of their wicked ways and trust in Jesus Christ as their king and begin to serve him faithfully with joy, looking forward to the eternal reward that comes in heaven itself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.